right, KISS Army. Welcome to the KISS FAQ Podcast. Thank you for giving us your time today and letting us into your head. I hope we don't do any damage. We hope that you enjoy. 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 Welcome to episode 344 of the KISS FAQ Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Gill. Today, we've got the usual crew back together for part two of our album MVP battle. So, Marcus Almighty Mark, 69th Blizzard Ken, hello, Lonnie St. Louis Kiss, who randomly buys stuff with Kiss's name on it. And gets gets in arguments how, on the message how board. How dare he? <laughs> you check with your wife first. <laughs> yeah, that would have been more appropriate. The door is open. That's actually the the, the first uh, news item of the day is actually kiss off the soundboard popped up on target. I wish I'd discovered this myself. There's been some discussions about what is it. The price point on the vinyl is like 52 bucks, suggesting that it's a triple, and the CD is like 18 bucks, which at Target suggests that it's a double CD. Um, an unofficial, unconfirmed little birdie did tweet that it was a 2001 soundboard from Tokyo, which which has circulated in the bootleg world as a lossy uh, very uh, it's decent quality I, I had a copy for years um, but compared to a full-blown pristine recording if that is the case I'm going to be very happy with that because number one is the archives opening and something coming out it's also number two a obscure lineup because Ace Fraley and Eric Singer weren't in the band too long together just long enough to finish up the Australian and Japanese legs of the farewell tour and number three well I haven't just bought any kiss stuff recently so uh hopefully it is that and if not it'll be interesting to see what it is lonnie obviously you did mention that you'd gotten some heat for just ordering it sight unseen (laughs) what's your thoughts and hopes well i was um i guess i was just screwing around the evening on on facebook and i and i saw like i think it was everything kiss or or something like that posted that that hey this is up for pre-order at target it's like oh that's interesting i clicked on it and Ooh, vinyl, fifty-two dollars. Like, huh? I was like, and I, and I was, and, and, and you know, and my wife looked at me and she goes, "Well, just order it. I know you're going to order it anyway, so just get the vinyl." And I was like, "Well, just do you want the CD too? Buy the CD." I go, oh, "I'm not worried about the CD per se. I mean, I'll I'll be able to get a CD." I said, "But I'm, I'll I'll go ahead and pre-order the vinyl just just in case." So then I click over to our the uh, the glorious Kiss FAQ message board and. See what see what the word is over there. People are speculating, like you know, you know, Tokyo 2001 is what a lot of people are saying. Well, you know, and there's other speculation. Well, maybe it's Anaheim 76. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's that. You know, I don't really care what it is. Like Julian said, the biggest point about it is this could be Kiss finally opening up their vaults and giving us the things that we've been saying on this show for years. Of why don't you do this? Do this. Give us this. Give us that. You're known for your live performances. Why are you holding on to them? I mean, I feel like we we say that almost every week. We come back to the same thing. So I'm excited almost no matter what it is. I'm I'm excited to see what it is. And if it if it's if it's a show that maybe I'm not as thrilled about, so be it. Because I don't think this is going to. It doesn't. I, I we don't know anything about it. But pure speculation is it's might it may not be just a one time thing. So I'm excited about. It. Yeah, hopefully it's not. Ken, what are your thoughts and what are your hopes? Yeah, I hope 
it is uh, what you say. Um, that is uh, the 2001 Tokyo. It sounds, you know, that's a kind of a, a pretty good show. I, you know, I've checked it out, you know, before, obviously. Um, and it's a really top-notch live performance. You know, one of the one of the you know few good ones from the you know the later years uh, after the reunion. So um, yeah, if it's that, I look forward to it. If it's some other uh, you know good soundboard that we've been looking for, that'd be nice too. Um, I, I didn't pre-order it yet, but I you know I might pre-order it like Lonnie said Lonnie did because you know he, he had a good. Uh, Reason is, you know what? I can cancel the order, right? What? You find you find out it's if you find out it's you know not the really if it's a bootleg or something, then you can just turn around and cancel it from uh, Target. So uh, I think I will actually uh, order it, pre-order it. So the voice of reason will smite out of spite and pre-order the Target just to give a voice of reason finger to the critics <laughs> of Lonnie on the yes. FAQ. <laughs> I'm joining Mark. Lonnie's team. Thank you, <laughs> Mark. How about you? Uh, well, I don't know. I think I'm. I think I might pass on it. Um, maybe you don't know what it is. Huh? <laughs> well, I, I might. I might get it. But I'm a very leery of these supposed soundboard, you know, sort of recordings because the last couple times I took a chance on them from certain people that were selling, you know, various different kinds of recordings. Uh, I've got one that was pretty good, and I got a couple that were all like, <laughs> so like they were playing underwater and then pressed on vinyl. It's like, yeah, okay, that was worth $35. So um, I'm a little leery on buying anything that's not like a real official live recording because the only bands that I've heard that done that, that, that have done really good, good soundboard stuff is like Rush or like Yes and stuff like that. Like I've heard, I have one really good Kiss one that. I forget what it's called though. Uh, hydraulic, I think it's called or something like that. It was a it's a '77 tour one. That's really good. Red vinyl. They have all kinds of stuff. You get picks and all that with it. That was a really good one. But then I got these other ones from Knoxville and this and that. They were just crap. They were really early, like hotter than hell tour cycle or something. So it was all shit, right? So I don't know. I, I'm gonna wait. You know, worst comes to worst, I'll just get the CD. Yeah, fair enough. So that is not the big announcement coming uh, for releases for anyone who was worried. Um, but Kiss isn't quite ready. Another new release is actually coming out tomorrow, and it's the second single from Paul Stanley, Soul Station. And it is, I believe, The Spinners. Could it be I Falling in Love? So, uh, you know, check it out or don't check it out. It's as easy as that. All right, let's get into today's rankings. Last episode, we went up through Alive 2. And I wasn't going to include Double Platinum in this, but then Ken said I had to. So, of course, Ken's the real boss around here. He looks so calm and everything over there. But uh, when he snaps his fingers, we obey. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I only said it because Killers was in the list, I thought. Wait a minute, it's like a best of. And I said, well, you got to put double plan them because it had actually a new recording on that too. So think about it. You are absolutely correct as always. Oh, Let's get on with this. Uh, surprisingly, or unsurprisingly, this group of albums we're going to go up through Animalize. Uh, we've got three albums on which we have universal concurrence. 
and double platinum is the first of them uh each one of us chose sean delaney as our mvp which i don't think is going to surprise too many people lonnie start us off with sean no not surprising that um all four of us chose sean and was thinking about my listing and it was the slam dunk choice because of the remixes that appear on the album i think he's you think about MVP, well, he's most responsible for what ends up on this album, you know, and, and, and it's the mixes of um, Black Diamond and the intro to Rock Bottom with She and the Firehouse re, um, redo and, and obviously Strutter 78. You know, most they all have a, a different type of feel to them, a little more poppy feel to them, which is kind of you know, Sean's rep- representation, Sean's stamp on these songs. So, you know, as far as the greatest hits album go with, with some remixes, I mean, I I don't see how you don't give it to Sean because it, it's his, it was his vision and mission accomplished. Nice, Mark. Putting on your producer's hat. Well, what I wrote down is that, because uh, I, again, I did nice lengthy notes again. Uh, so what I put for this was that uh, Sean single-handedly got this album together. The band's only real contribution as a band to this is Strutter 78, their performance of it. Um, him and Mike Stone went through the entire Kiss catalog to find songs worthy of inclusion on here. Uh, some songs were remixed. Some songs were strictly just edited and kept in original form, but you know, like you said, there was something tagged at the end or, you know, something was done differently at the beginning. So there's a lot of editing, cutting and splicing and with, you know, two inch tape and stuff like that. You don't want to be doing too much of that stuff unless you really know what the hell you're doing. Hence having Mike Stone there. Uh, and like I put it at the end, I mean, this compilation is very well regarded within the KISS fan circles and with me as well. I mean, it's, I'll, I'll stand by this and say that this is easily my favorite KISS compilation of all time. So uh, everything that was done to it, I think was done uh, with KISS in mind, trying to propel them to that next step. I think Sean's always had their best interest in mind when he does stuff for them. So, And this was a great job. I think the mixes were interesting that they did. Some of the re-editing was very interesting. And I think Mike Stone could have like a runner-up MVP for that as well. But Sean was definitely the, the brains behind it. Nice. Ken, how about you? Yeah, I, I agree with you guys. Um, and Sean um, did a great job making a lot of it sound the same, like you know, as much as he could from the same recordings. Um, made it pretty even. Uh, I did like, I do like a lot of the different, you know, changes, like in do- uh, calling Doctor Love, that uh, kind of weird phasing in of the guitar or whatever, and then the other part where you know, the calling Doctor Love voice, you know, kind of, you know, calling Doctor Howard. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. So it, it was. It's cool. Uh, I like some of the changes. There's a couple things like, uh, okay. Um, I think that what the weird thing for me on it though was the uh, the black diamond at the end where it it kind of starts over again. Uh, like, yeah, you know, at the beginning, mm-hmm. but it was interesting. But I guess it's, it is better than that long, long droning out at the end of mm-hmm. the original one. So yeah. Um, but yeah, they they actually did some cool things to make it, you know, fresh and 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 different from the uh, original recordings. It was a good job. I I like it. 
And I think for me, you know, like many people who became a fan after the originals era, this was the first album that we got. Again, for me, it was because it had the most bang per buck, you know, in terms of the number of songs. So I think Sean did a great job of taking stuff produced by Kernan Wise, Bogart, Eddie Kramer, and Bob Ezrin and making it all sound unified enough to be on the same album so that it felt like an album. And to this day, those songs and those versions are imprinted more on my musical DNA than even the album versions, which I got later. So he did a great job. Uh, you know, there's a couple weird choices in there for certain, like the intro to Rock Bottom. Um, but it, it, it's still a, a great job done to present Kiss on a greatest hits album. All right, let's move and, on. Sorry, mm-hmm. and there's one one other thing too. Don't forget, he had he didn't have a whole hell of a lot of time to do this. I remember reading in a few books saying that he had very little time that he almost pulled his hair out trying to get this together in the time allotted. And there's also the record that brought up that rumor about Queen for a Day already being recorded. I remember reading that that Black Diamond book that he said during this time apparently he had a reel with that song on it. So whether that's true or not, who knows? But mm-hmm. you know. Maybe we'll find out one day. Mm-hmm. Or not. All right, uh, moving on to <laughs> Dynasty. I mean, Dynasty. Dynasty. Um, now we break off into factions. We've got two who went with Ace and two who went with Vinnie Poncia. So, Mark, let's start with you on Vinny. Well, I put Vinny, um, and I. Well, the reason why I put it, as I said, at this point, you know, they got a new guy in, you know, and when you get a new producer in, you want somebody who has like strong skills and Vinnie Poncia is a good songwriter. He's a decent producer. I mean, he's done some records before that obviously impressed them, including Peter Chris's record. I mean, if you can get, if you can produce a Peter Chris record at that time period, that's saying a lot, right? So it helped a lot as far as, you know, getting them on the, all on the same page, uh, I think. And, you know, I also put that this album is in Kiss circles is kind of controversial. Some people always look at this as a disco record, other people don't think of that. Think of it that way. I don't. I always think of it as a rock record with two disco songs on it, right? And I think it sounds good. I've always liked this record. It's really, really grown on me over the years. And I think Vinny did a great job. I mean, every time I listen to this record, I can't help but imagine New York City, downtown, the buildings. It just has that vibe about it. And that, I think, boils down to Vinnie Poncia and the way he recorded this album. It gave it such a New York sound to me. I don't know what it is, but I've always loved it because of that. Nice. Ken, what about your thoughts on Dynasty? Because you also went with Vinnie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like Mark, I went with Vinnie and uh, for a lot of the same reasons. Um, and some others like his, his songwriting, obviously. Uh, he helped a lot there. And then his production to make it more, you know, uh, hits, you know, try to make more poppy uh, to tr- try to get more hits. Um, I don't think another producer could have taken uh, I Was Made for Loving You and, and done that kind of, you know, that good of a job on it. You know, I don't think Eddie Kramer would have <laughs> pull, pulled that pulled that off. Um, it would have been a lot different, I think. Uh, so, so, yeah, Vinny did what he was supposed to, which is, I think, uh, helped him, you know, try to get a lot of hits off of this, off of this record. So they got maybe a couple or whatever, but, uh, the, you know, they did the job. He did the job and, uh, got them all the work, you know, well on all their songs. So. All right. Pick there. Moving on to the blue side. 
Lonnie, we agree. We do. Um, we both went with Ace Frehley. I debated between Ace and Paul, actually. But I went with Ace because, I mean, there, there's there's nine songs on the record. Ace contributes three of them. You know, Paul contributes three of them. Gene, only two. Um, moving forward, I mean, looking back, I mean, Ace had only sang on on one kiss one kiss song proper or i guess two kiss on proper you want to include rocket ride prior to this but he comes out with three songs for this album and they're three great songs um three songs that really stand alone between 2000 man hard times and save your love and i think save your love is very underrated mm-hmm. um and does not get a lot of the love and appreciation it deserves. So I I went with Ace. I, I think Ace really had, at this point, had really started to come into his own and shine. You know, he, he did Shack Me. He had done Rock, Rocket Ride and then really shined on his his solo album and and brought that momentum into into Dynasty. And, and it shows. So I, I have to give the nod to Ace. He, he knocked it out of the park for this album. Yeah, and I concur. Um Ace came off his 1978 solo album with a whole bunch of panache. He had his guitars, he had his songwriting, oh, for the most part, because he did bring five songs to the session and, you know, what, three got used, and one was a cover, you know, whereas Peter brought four to the sessions and one got used. So it was really an era, an era when Ace was confident and very much competent as well. His guitar work is exceptional. His lead vocals are fantastic, and the humor's there. So I just give him the nod, the Bronx nod, just over Paul on this album because of what he brought. And I think, you know, Vinny made him sound great as well. All right, let's move on into another factionalized album, Unmasked. And again, there are two of us who, well, yeah, two pairs of us. So, Ken, start us off with your thoughts on Unmasked. Okay, yeah, well, Unmasked, obviously it was produced by Vinny again, but uh, I didn't go with him. Uh, I decided to go uh, go with Anton Fig who stepped in and then did a great job uh, drumming on this one. Um, obviously, he did the majority. He did the majority of uh, Dynasty, uh, except for the uh, um, Dirty Living. Living. Um, yep. And, uh, you know, did a great job there. But I think his, his drumming on, the, on Dynasty was a little bit more held back, and maybe they did that on purpose because, you know, they're trying to keep uh, Peter, and and uh, but he ended up leaving anyway, or getting kicked out. One of the one or the two. Um, so on a mass, he did a great job. You could see he's it was obviously not Peter's drumming on that album for sure, uh, and it's just a great job. They did a great job producing it, and I had to go with him. I could have, you know, I thought about oh yeah, I could go with Paul because he had some great songs on there and so on, but. I think Anton Figs in you know, coming in and, and doing such a great job. I think he, you know, he was almost a band member, right, uh, at this point. Um, mm-hmm. So, but unfortunately, I think he was not. Um, uh, but I think his drumming really stands out, and 
that's why I, I picked him. Nice. Mark, you agree with Ken? I sure do. Uh, Anton Fig was my MVP. And what I put down is quite simply that Peter had left. The people didn't know that he had left at that point, and they didn't want anybody to know yet that he had left. So they needed a drummer that can come in, you know, pull another kind of Peter performance. Yet at this point, I think they were a little more secure with having him on the record and let him branch out a little bit more in his own style, which is clearly obvious when you listen to some of the songs, because, you know, now looking back in retrospect, listening to this record, the fact that any of us even would have thought for an instant that that was Peter Chris playing on this record is, you know, kind of almost mind altering in my opinion, because you listen to a song like Torpedo Girl, he has never played drums like that on any record. Those kinds of tom rolls and stuff like that that he did in there are not Peter Chris style at all. So I think that he showed on this record that he can sit in Peter's chair and kind of do his style and pull a, the wool over people's eyes for the most part. But when they needed him to kind of branch out and do something a little bit more, you know, risque or something a little bit more challenging and daring, he was the guy who could go and do it. And, you know, they rewarded him handsomely. I think they said they gave him 20,000 bucks to come in and do it and not leak a word about it. And uh, I think he did a great job. Unmasked has been one of those records that has grown in stature for me over the years as well. So, And I think Anton's drumming has a lot to do with it. It's the backbone of the record. Excellent. So Lonnie and I agree again. Twice in one show. <laughs> What's the world coming to? Lonnie, <laughs> uh, talk about Unmasked and who our MVP was. Our MVP is Paul Stanley. Um, I think the album itself just screams Paul to me. And I talked about how Ace Frehley was really coming into his own on Dynasty. Well, Paul had come into his own on Dynasty, too, as a songwriter, not just on Dynasty, but with his solo album and 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 Love Gun before that. We talked the last show about you know, I, I chose Paul Stanley as my MVP on Love Gun just because he wrote Love Gun and I stole your love. Um, then Paul comes in, does his solo album. He does Dynasty. He does, and he does this and um, say what you want. And a lot of people don't like the production on Unmasked, but Paul contributes some really great songs to this album. And they're really, it's really a Paul Stanley type album between Is That You and Shandy and Tomorrow. Paul Stanley really, really shines on this pop piss album. Um, I, I just think that, you know, there's, to me, I know, and I and I thought Vinny Ponce again, and I thought Ace again because Ace contributed some good songs as well. But to me, it, it just had to be Paul Stanley because of again his his songs were just on a different level compared to the other ones that were that appeared on the album. So I had to go with him. Agreed. And his songs were better. Aces had declined from a high point on Dynasty. Paul's vocals again were fantastic on Unmasked, and Vinny really captured him perfectly. But I, I give Paul the nod simply because of songs like Easy As It Seems, What Makes the World Go Round, oh, and of course, The Mighty Tomorrow. So that that's strictly why he does. Gene barely gets a nod in there. Yeah, his material's okay. Ace is okay. Anton's drumming is okay. It's a bit too polished. Paul, clear winner for me. Let's move on to everyone's favorite concept album, 
Music from the Elder. And on this one, well, Mark and Ken are on the same page, but no one else is. I went with Paul as the MVP for this album for one reason, to make Ken go, what? That's what I did. You did. Uh, Julian should go first on this, though. Yeah, and that's why I'm going first on this, because it's the definition of a hero is someone who's a coward having to rise above. They have to rise the highest to be a hero. And Paul had to rise the highest. He had to rise to it. He had to rise his heart. He, he, no, he really That's stretched himself the most on this album in terms of his vocals. Having the guts, not to stand alone, but to do falsetto is a really, really challenging thing to actually do it and then release it. And then, of course, there is the vocals on the oath. Um, Paul Stanley. Paul and some of his lead work as well throughout his guitar playing on this album is just exquisite so I don't care what anyone else says that's what I think now Mark jump in and you can start Ken off by telling us why I'm wrong well I picked Gene and uh I'm just I think I'm still in shock from that explanation over Paul there uh Basically, I think the reason why I picked Gene is because while this record is a disaster in every sense of the word, um, it was his idea, Gene's, right? Uh, And his songs and his performances on this record, to me, are the only ones that seem truly believable. I mean, everybody else in this record seems uncomfortable with the idea. You just openly said that Paul wasn't really cool with doing this record. I mean, Eric Carr has been well noted to saying that he was expecting to come in and do a big rock record and had to come in and do this. So clearly he wasn't in his element doing this, right? And we all know we all know what Ace thought of it. I mean, he threw it out the window of his car, right? So realistically, the only person that deserves any kind of MVP, the only person who took it for what it was and really put his effort into it, you know, and because it wasn't Bob. I mean, he was so high on cocaine, he probably didn't even know if he was working on a Disney album, let alone a Kiss album. So it, you can't give it to him, you know. So it's Gene. Gene was the one who steered this ship. It was his idea. It was his everything. I mean, I, I think that, you know, songs like Mr. Blackwell and, you know, even other songs on the record, too, like Only You and stuff like that, they're, they sound to me like the only songs that I believe he put his heart into and the other guys i just think were just kind of you know okay we got to do this okay i uh, i'll kind of play along i think gene was the only one who was in it for the long haul and his performances were the best everybody else kind of seemed really uncomfortable on this record he played it completely safe ken (laughs) (laughs) all right so i agree with mark of course um Yeah, you know, the thing about, you said, you know, Paul and his falsetto, he was already practicing that. I mean, he had that back in Dynasty, uh, in I Was Very Love You, and, he, and also on on uh, um, Unmasked. Um, he did that in the couple of the songs on there. So he had already been on the way. I, I assume that Bob Bedroom said, hey, this is a kid going to be sounding like, why don't you sing it in your high 
falsetto voice to make it sound like it's a young boy, you know. So, and that's probably what, how that came about. But uh, you know, and he pulled it off. That was good. Um, but for the most part, you know, it's Gene. It's Gene's really from his short story, uh, I guess, um, is pretty much concept. Um, and then you know, his songs like "Only You" and and he's singing on "Under the Rose" and "Blackwell" was great. Um, and I right mm-hmm. um which is you know another anthem <clears throat> so it, it's it's all and you know even though he took uh, also paul stanley's song right a world without heroes he sang that one um i mean paul wrote it which is a great song uh but i gotta give it to gene it's it's this album is pretty much all gene mostly gene uh, um as far as the concept and 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 just the feel of it is definitely definitely him Right, but they completely rehashed Destroyer with Gene Swatero and didn't break any new ground where Paul did. And I'm wearing (laughs) my purple headbound background today just as a deliberate dig at you all for your nasty comments to me. Lonnie, tell us why we're all wrong. You're all wrong. (laughs) Because the MVP of this album is clearly Bob Ezrin. I don't give a crap what Mark says. It is clearly 100% Bob Ezrin. And you're all going to agree with me here in the next couple of minutes because the album starts off with fanfare. It's MVP of the album. Who's the most influential person for this album? It's Bob Ezrin. Has Kiss ever started an album with anything like fanfare previously? No. Thank God. Have they done something goofy to start an album before? Yeah. Destroyer. Who is the producer of that album? Bob Ezrin. Bob Ezrin is the most influential person on this album and then you go into just a boy with paul singing the way he is who told paul to sing that way bob bob is the most important person on the for the for the way this album turned out the most important person in the room is bob ezra and you can go all the way down the line and you can even go all the way down with world without heroes gene crying in the video come on it's all bob and then it ends with i and it ends with this outro of, do you still think he's chosen to for the fellowship? Well, I certainly do, my lord. Come on. It's totally Bob Ezra and Alice Cooper. My lord? Pete Floyd, whatever the hell he says. It's not down to Navi. The song's over. I don't listen to the, <laughs> the little outro. But Bob Ezra is the most important person in the room. For the, the way the elder came out, for the way the elder is, who is most responsible for the elder as we know it? It's Bob Ezrin, 100%. Not Paul, not Gene. I can see Julie's point with Paul, though. It's actually, the record company. Then I came with Gene. Gene, I like Gene. Don't get me wrong. But Gene hadn't really put out a really strong, I mean, I like charisma off of, off of, off of Dynasty. But Gene's material had really waned at this point for the last few albums. And, and Gene wasn't really knocking it out of the park with material at this point in time. Sure, Gene came up with a little short story, but I don't think Gene's heart was really in the much of anything with Kiss at this point. He was more interested in Cher or Diana Ross or taking off the makeup to explore other roles. I don't really think Gene's heart was really into what's happening at this point. So it's clearly Bob Ezra is the most important person in the room, but but came out on the mind. But if you say that Gene was was mainly into, you know, Cher and these people, 
I mean, at this point, Bob Ezrin is mainly into cocaine. So, but I mean, Bob really... still the most <laughs> responsible for what the final product... He didn't even know what was going on. He wasn't there half the that. time. He was. It said in many, many literary books I read that he was not there half the time. He, he didn't even know where he was. He's probably in a hotel room, like half out of his mind, running around saying, where am I? Where am I? You know, he's, he Wait. probably didn't know what was going on half the time. I think Julius has done more research on the elder than any of us could yeah. ever dream of. The way so the album, is probably right, though. The, yeah. <laughs> the way the album ended up is is due to Bob not having a backbone to say, no, we're not going to change it and leave it as it was. Originally intended, and uh, the record company won out, and we, we got what we got. Um, so I, I wish, you know, they would have, you know, stood stood the ground and maybe they now, wouldn't have ever released it back but the then. interesting thing is though wasn't wasn't the record label the ones that said that they didn't think there was enough guitars in it that it need to be remixed to make the guitars more dominant or that's i am correct in that julian am i not you are and so, what's the difference there, there is no difference in essence between the two versions in terms of the guitars there are no more guitars in the second version it's just the songs mixed around so whether there are other tapes out there of mixes that have yet to surface i just like to add if ace threw his uh tape out the window when he first heard the elder that would be the first advanced mix which i've obviously shown the tape before uh, mm. but someone was selling ace's copy that's amazing if he threw it out the window mm. and it was then available for sale in the last year oh yeah really he threw it out the window curly huh 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 I don't think yeah, so. I guess he didn't. <laughs> he said he threw it against the wall. He said he threw a CD against the wall, That's which was before. In 1980, so in 1981. Well, there you go. I mean, we're talking about another person who wasn't all there either at the time, right? <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Well, uh, obviously that was really fascinating. So let's quickly put another quarter <laughs> in like the, the machine, and we're going to set Lonnie off again. Kiss Killers. <laughs> And uh, actually, they're, they're, no one's going to get set off by this. Everyone is universal in their opinions about this album. And obviously, there are four songs which we're primarily judging the album by rather than the abominations for the, what they kind of mixed um, as a sampler for the catalog for the rest of it. But off the four albums, everyone concurred. Paul Stanley. Lonnie, start with you. Yeah, it's clearly Paul Stanley. They're all four Paul Stanley songs. Um, some people, you know, really dig these four songs. You know, I think they're fine. You know, I, I like Nowhere to Run. I like Partners in Crime. You know, I, I think they're, I think they're good songs. They're, they're not as good as the material that ended up on, on Creatures, but they're, but they're good songs. And I don't, if we're, if we're just voting on an MVP for this compilation album with four additional songs, well, who sang on all four songs? Who's responsible for these four songs? It's clearly Paul Stanley. Again, Gene's material was not up to par at this point. That's why it wasn't an MVP on the Elder. That's why it's an MVP here either. So it's clearly Paul Stanley. I'm just a consensus among the forums. It's an yeah. easy pick. Mark. Yeah, there's no question it's Paul Stanley. I mean, four songs, he wrote them. I mean, the way I kind of look at it, there were three good songs and one really, really, really good song. I think Nowhere to Run is easily one of Paul's best songs that he did. I, I've, I've always loved that song since the very first time I bought it. Incidentally, Kiss Killers was the very first album I actually bought with my own money at the record store when I was a teenager. And I remember it having that you know import sticker on there from Polygram and everything. I was like, wow, what the hell is this? Because the, what caught me was the cover. 
of that. I was like, what is this? It looks so odd. And it looks so unlike a Kiss kind of cover, like with the, with the colors and all that. Right? So I brought it home and right away, I, I loved it. There was lots of songs that I was familiar with because of my sister that was on there. But those new songs were, were really well done. I mean, considering the pressure that they were under to, you know, you know, make these songs and to get something out there to appease their record label overlords, you know, I think that he did a pretty good job in a short amount of time that he had to do it. Yeah, just pop perfection that really married where Paul was in 7980 with a harder rocking edge. And just think, nowhere to run. When you think about having Escape from the Island and some of the kind of plot for the elder of not having that used on that album... You know, great that he really had songs. I, I think they're great quality songs. Are, are they perfect? No. But I'm a legend tonight. Again, when I first found that in, uh, you know, in a mall in the mid '80s with that Polygram import sticker, it was PSI in the in mm. on the back label in the U.S. And I know the Canadian one had like a pretty big sticker with the same yeah. thing. You know, so the cover. That's why that reissue that's coming out has done so well, I think, because not only is it a very visually appealing album, it's also got some strong music on it and a decent sampler of just the rest of the catalog. Ken? Yeah, I I agree for the same reasons uh, as you guys. Um, The four songs, I I chose Paul, of course, too. Um, And I think two two to three of the songs are pretty darn good. the you know the, the fourth song is eh, it's, it's okay you know it's it's not up to standards as far as i'm concerned but uh definitely two of the songs are are really really good could they have been produced a little bit better yeah you know uh, it doesn't sound like you know what's what was to come in creatures um but uh you know it, it was something extra and something new from kiss is what you know i was always looking for oh, oh you know there's new songs so, you know, I got excited about that. Um, so it was good. And, yeah, no doubt Paul, you know, came up with four, you know, decent songs to put on there. Very cool. Well, there we go. Unanimous on Kiss Killers. All right, moving on. Creatures of the Night. And we've got, oh, we've got two people who agree. So, Mark, start us off with your pick. Okay, well... Before I start, I got to preface my pick by saying that I was actually highly, highly impressed with Julian's selection and felt almost kind of bad that I didn't pick them myself. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to stick with my reason for probably the similar reasons for what Julian's going to talk about. Uh, I picked Michael James Jackson. Uh, I think that he did an absolutely bang up job producing this record. This record to me, the very first time I heard it, literally was a jaw on the floor moment when i was like what the hell is this i mean the drums on this record the whole production of the the whole sound of it the soundscape of it is something in my opinion that has never been matched or equaled again by kiss on anything else they've done in their catalog you know it's never been duplicated the drums sound incredible gene's bass guitar even though he didn't play very much bass on it but the bass guitar sound on here is really really good i mean it's incredible what a good pair of active pickups on a bass guitar and a bit of growl added to it can do for a bass sound i mean just listen to rock and roll hell that bass during the verse an incredible bass tone i've always loved 
that tone. He had something similar like that on Naked City on Unmasked, but this was just mm-hmm. another step up on it. Uh, the vocals also are another thing that sound really good. Listen to this album on headphones. The vocals are really well done. I mean, even when they kind of put their balls right into it, it doesn't sound shrieky or shrilly. I mean, it's it's just a fantastic, fantastic job. And I mean, it's amazing what a good drum room and a great pair of Telefunken microphones can do for a drum kit. I mean, that drum kit, again, when I heard that co- comment from Gene Simmons, when somebody went up to him, I think it was on a Chris Kiss cruise and asked him why they never went and continued with that sound on Lick It Up. And he said to them, well, because it didn't sell, I thought it was very narrow minded because, I mean, I think with the songs that they wrote with Lick It Up, if they had that same production, it could have been something. I mean, who knows? Maybe it wouldn't have sold as good. But I still think it would have been an incredible record with that sound. Again, my hats off to Michael James Jackson. Everything about this record I love. It is probably my most listened to record when I want to turn something up to 10 in my house. This is the album. And he's the one that's MVP, in my opinion. Very nice. Ken, you concur with Mark. I do concur. Um, Michael James Jackson obviously did a great job. He pulled, you know, a, a, great, a great team together to to produce this album, and including including, you know, multiple guitarists. Um, you know, having picked the right even. Who would have thought that you know Creatures of the Night? Uh, what is it? The can't remember the guy's name now. Who did the guitar solo? It's from Mister Mister, right? No, Ferris, Michael Ferris, or something. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, Steve Ferris. Steve, Steve Ferris, Ferris, yeah, yeah. So I mean, even to to get him <laughs> to come in and pull a solo, that's it's a great solo. I mean, uh, and and then the guys to uh, you know pick up the drumming, you know, mic the drumming and do the you know. Where there was it recorded in a elevator or something? Uh, yeah, something like that. But um, yeah, it was just perfect, and the sound of it is just in your face, really, um, on that album. And that's what I remember about it. You know, it's like, it's like, holy cow, this thing is, you know, blowing me away. Um, so, just from for the standpoint of the sound, having the right things. Uh, <laughs> or the right people doing their job just he just put it pulled it all together and did a great job on it um i couldn't really pick a a bam i almost did but uh, i thought michael james jackson deserved it yeah okay lonnie and i are nearly on the same page lonnie (laughs) i went i almost went with michael james jackson but and it would have been easy to go with michael james jackson but i had to go with Eric Carr, because what, what's the common thing that both Ken and Mark have been talking about? Well, how great do the drums sound on this album? Well, who's the drummer? It's Eric Carr shining his brightest that he shines throughout his whole Kiss career on this album. His drumming is just impeccable, and it's in your face, and it's it's Zeppelin-esque. It's so in your face is what it reminds me of most when I listen to Creatures. And again, I agree with Mark. I don't don't understand why they didn't continue on to look it up and beyond in the same vein and utilize this new drummer that they found and embrace this new sound that he could bring to the band. Um, 
that to me is almost the biggest shame of the eighties that they didn't embrace that and, and keep that tone going and say, this is, this is our new sound going into the new decade. Um, mm-hmm. But Eric is just, it just hits it out of the park on this album from the intro to creatures of the night. I mean, it's just, it's like, Whoa, what's this? You know what I mean? The, yeah. Just the intro to creatures of the night. It's just like, Oh, Oh. And then he gets, I love it loud. It's like, Oh, you know, it's, it's incredible all the way through to the end of war machine. Eric's drumming is the best it is on any Kiss record. Uh, and and I'll sit here and sing the praises of Peter Chris when we talk 70s. And everybody on this show knows how much I love Revenge. And I love the Eric Singer, Bruce Kulik lineup. And I like I like Eric and the bands to this day. But when, the, when I think of Creatures of the Night, I think of the drumming. And I think we all do. So I have to go with Eric Carr. As much as I thought, well, Michael J. Jackson, he did produce it. And, you know, I, I love the sound of Creatures, but it, to, it, it, it has to be Eric Carr. All right, so I'm nearly with Eric Carr. I actually went with, you know, something that Ken has touched on and Mark as well mentioned. I gave the MVP to Nico Bolas and Rich Bosworth who were responsible for recording the drums. Now, I know when you put a racing car driver in a car, you can put Lewis Hamilton in you know, pretty much any car, and he's going to drive it well. He's going to get a feel for it very quickly. And that's the same with Eric Carr on drums. But those weren't his drums. Those were uh, Heinz 57 kit put together by Shep Lonsdale, uh, associated with Toto, and then mic'd by Nico and Rich and recorded by them with Michael James Jackson. So I think that is really where the factor is because we all think creatures, we all think the sound of the drums. And I think because we think the sound of those drums, I have to give them the technical award over Eric because I'm pretty sure Eric Carr played some tin cans in his career and made them sound great because the drums sounded great on the next album but it wasn't the same kit and it wasn't the same sound because rich and nico i hate you um (laughs) i'll be in nashville in august so thank you for interrupting my train of thought as well because eric's performance was just as strong on lick it up but the drums don't sound the same that's why i give it to um the technical guys because I think once in a while, the technical guys got to get some respect for what they do as well in the industry, because we always talk about the great playing. And come on, how many albums are there out there for you that you really think drums, the drums sound great on that album? Creatures is one for me. Never mind, Nirvana is another one where I love the drums and Zeppelin Four. Those are essentially the, the albums that I love the drumming on. And, you know, they've all got great players. All right. Let's move on to that next one. Lick it up. Or lick it sideways. Lick mm-hmm. it down. Um, <laughs> Ken, why don't you get us started with your pick? Because we're not quite unanimous on this one either. Almost. Almost unanimous. Uh, what I did is I picked, well, Gene and Vinny as the most valuable players on this one. Um, and I could take... Uh, well, first of all, let's just say Vinny for his, obviously, his songwriting and, and guitar playing 
on this, uh, helping, you know, writing with Paul, writing with Gene, you know, on, on pretty much everything almost um, on the album. Uh, he was just fantastic. His his sound, a lot of the songs, you know, sounded like Vinny, if you compare it to his solo work that came afterwards. Uh, you can see the influence there uh, on certain songs. Um, uh, so that's that, so Vinny. And then Gene, and I can take one of uh, Lonnie's, uh, you know, uh, reasons he put Paul on, I think it was Dynasty or, or Unmasked, maybe it was Unmasked, or something about, the, or no, yeah, it was, it was uh, Ace. Love Gun. Or, Love Gun. Uh, or whatever, being on, on, having most of the songs, wrote most of the songs on it. Okay, well, yeah, yeah, Gene did. He was on, he, he wrote in six songs. Uh, involved in six songs and all his songs are to me I like all of his songs including the ones he wrote by himself which were uh, <laughs> Dance All Over Your Face I believe and uh, what was the other one he wrote by himself he wrote a couple by himself uh, oh Fist Like a Glove I believe that was by himself um, he wrote with Vinny on uh, and on the eighth day, right? God created rock and roll. That one, um, that one, to me, is a great song. It's, it's, yeah, it's a great song. <laughs> it's in the vein. Uh, it's in the vein of, of back in black. You know, rock and roll ain't noise pollution. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's in that same vein. It's kind of a slow. Uh, what do you want to call it? a slow anthem? I would call it. Um, and then you Plotting. got out for the end. Not for the innocent, of course, and uh, and give me more. And also about Gene on this album, his vocals were fantastic. This is his new era of vocals. It's kind of started with Creatures. He got rid of the Cookie Monster stuff that he was doing prior. And now, starting with Creatures, it was a different voice. And it's pretty much the voice we hear up to today uh, now. And uh, I think he perfected it on... Look it up. I mean, enough for the innocent. It's just so darn dirty, mean mm -hmm. a sound to his to his voice, and even on the other songs. So, I think he does some good screaming on this one too, actually. So that's why I give it to Gene and Vinny. Uh, I think they both deserve it. Um, look it up. Mark, help us. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, so. I put down Vinnie Vincent, and initially in my notes, this is the only album that I had just one sentence in here. I put Vinnie Vincent. He pretty much wrote the damn record. So basically, uh, <laughs> let's put it this way. I, I give him props for the fact that he joined the band. He was a guy that clearly they weren't too keen on, you know, joining the band. I mean, it's very obvious. They documented that everywhere. And, you know, as much as we you know, poke fun at Vinny. I mean, I'm sure he probably got the vibe that he wasn't probably completely welcome into the band, but he did a good job on the Creatures tour, you know, and then he comes back after one tour, one tour with the band, and it wasn't even a long tour. He picked up on the vibe of the band, picked up on kind of what was out there and what was kind of, you know, popular in music, and he wrote a record full of songs that to this day, many, many, many people think is probably one of the better kissed records. Lick it up. And, you know, that that's all up to down to him. I mean, 
we all know Gene and how he can be with songwriting. You know, he write he adds three words, you know, and adds one chord to it. He has a songwriting credit, you know. So really, I mean, I, I really wonder how much of some of these songs he did write. I mean, sure, obviously, Fits Like a Glove is total Gene. I have no question that's his, you know. But I mean, some of these other songs, I really wonder how much he did help Vinny. I, I'm guessing a lot of these songs are majority him. I mean, we know, we know songs like Lick It Up is pretty much all him, yet Paul Stanley has credit on there, you know. But for what? The whole song is pretty much the same as he wrote it when he demoed it, you know. So again, I, I'm very, very much questioning this whole co-writing business with him. But, you know, on the other hand, you got to think of it this way. I'm a Kiss fan. I turn the record back and I see songs written Vincent, 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 Vincent. What are they going to think? What the hell happened? Where's where's the other guys? You know, they didn't write anything. So I think for appearances, some of these credits were put down just to make sure that people weren't thinking that, you know, they needed this guy to save their ass, which in a way it kind of looks like he did songwriting wise. But, you know, if he would have played his cards right, he could have been on a lot more records with these guys and had a better career with them. But, you know, it got to him, I think. I think he realized how much his songs were, you know, appreciated by the Kiss fans. And he just thought all of a sudden he was the big star of the band. But, you know, say what we want about Vinnie Vincent. The fact of the matter is this record would not have been the record that it is without Vinnie Vincent's input. Lonnie. 100% agree with Mark. 100%. I, it, it's it's Vinny's album, and I think that I you stole my you stole my thunder in the fact that sorry I think that a lot of these songs that have a Simmons or a Stanley co-write on them, um, and my and we've again Mark or I or any of us have no way of really knowing this, but I think they have a minimum amount to do with them because I I. I think that um, to echo what Mark said, that you know, a Kiss fan goes and buys these out, goes and buys this album. Who wrote the song? Vincent, 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 all the way down. Well, why aren't why aren't Gene and Paul writing songs anymore? Why, why is the new guy writing all these songs? Why? What's what's happening to my band? Um, I, I I think it, it's a Vinnie Vincent album, and I think that gets I think it gets overlooked that it's a Vinnie Vincent album of of how much he contributed to this album. And it took you. You talk about you know that well. You know we don't know how how he was welcomed in the band, and we'll get into it with, when we talk about Analyze it. It took balls to kick him out of the band, considering how much he wrote on this album. Um, to say that, yeah, we're going to do the next one without him. As much of a pain in the ass as I'm sure he was, it took balls to say, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> So to me, to me, it's it's clearly Vinny on this album. He's all over the his his hands are all over the place on this album. And I you know, we, I talked about the elder how well I said well Bob is the most responsible for the finished product in my hand. Well, Vinny absolutely is the most responsible for the finished product in my hand on this album. We, we got to write this date down: February fourth, twenty twenty one. Me and Lonnie agreed a hundred percent on something. And I, I think you really yeah, touch world. on the most useful point there is that even though he is a great songwriter 
and a guitar player, they were still willing to get rid of him because he was such a pain in the ass. That really says that something. really says it all. <laughs> that yes. you, you you basically, you know, as comes the the lyric, cut off your nose to spite your face. With Vinnie Vincent, you just do that. This is Vinnie's high point in some ways, and it's not surprising mm-hmm. that when it comes to Vinnie's work, lick it up and all systems go, where Vinnie is being forcibly restrained. You know, one arm in a straight jacket is where he does his best work for my sensibilities yeah. musically. Um, I love this album. I would love to say that the MVP on this is Rick Derringer, just despite certain uh, <laughs> Vinny nut swingers. But I can't. I'd be lying. It's Vinny. Vinny's songwriting, Vinny's playing. But I think also the fact that it is restrained and held back by Gene and Paul and Kiss do certainly make it more... Uh, digestible and agreeable because we see on the next album Vinny records just what Vinny Unhinged is like and I much prefer this. I prefer Melodic Vinny because I think he brings much yeah. more to the table and that's probably why I like All Systems Go and songs like Invasion more than Boys Are Gonna Rock or On the Eighth Day. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on. We're going to come back together in a kumbaya moment at the end with Animal Eyes for unanimous agreement. We all agree that Paul Stanley is the MVP on Animal Eyes. Their shock horror with no Vinny left, with Gene making movies, with Eric in the Bahamas, and Mark chained to a guitar in the studio. Who else could it be on that album? Because there is such a difference in quality between Gene's material and Paul's. Paul still has some great stuff. You know, lead leading off, and who was it? Rick Friel pointed out that the notes in I've Had Enough Into the Fire are the same as Def Leppard's Wasted. i got to get my guitar out next time and uh, see if that is exactly the case or not. I love Paul's stuff on this. I like his vocals on this. But the material certainly is not as strong as on Lick It Up. And, uh, you know, nothing is as strong as the preceding two albums. But it's still a fun listen. It was still, you know, when we did the Animalize episode, my car is still set to playing Animalize. So there, there we go. It's been, not that I've been out in the car that much with COVID. All right, Ken. Yeah, I obviously agree with Paul being the, uh, the MVP. Um, yeah, he was in control of it all at that time. He's pretty much the producer. Um I, I know they wanted to bring Michael James Jackson into, I think at the beginning to do some of the drums, uh, you know, recording or Corinna Jones, but and then he, he couldn't do it anymore. I, I think guess. he did, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he had to go off and, and produce Armored Saint. Oh yeah, Armored Saint, right? That's that's right, Armored Saint. That was a good album too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but uh, so Paul, you know, had to rein in, you know. Mark St. John, who was probably going just wild, as they say, the bumblebee thing, um, and had to, you know, try to bring him back in and you know, try to write some memorable uh, solos and not just, you know, go crazy. I'm sure he had to have him actually probably told them certain solos, how to play certain solos. I almost guarantee that. Um, and then, you know, Eric is Eric and doing a great job. Um, and then, yeah, Gene was out and about <laughs> doing his thing. So it wasn't the strongest uh, effort on that album. So, yeah, Paul had a lot of good stuff on there, a good singing. Uh, and, you know, the sound of the album's not bad. It's pretty good, actually. Um, 
but it doesn't stand out as one of their you know greatest records or anything. But it's 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 still a decent one, and Paul did a great job on it. Nice, Mark. Yeah, well, I agreed. Uh, obviously, Paul. Um, actually, I was a little not close to picking Mark, but I'll explain that at the end. Um, <clears throat> the thing is, just like uh, Ken mentioned, you know, Paul produced this thing pretty much. I mean, it does say Paul and Gene Simmons, but we know Gene didn't do dick all on this record as far as production or anything like that. Yeah. So that's just, again, just for appearances, I think. Um, I've always kind of looked at this record as a warm-up for Paul in his production role, you know, that he kind of, you know, got his feet wet here on this record, and then he kind of hit the home run with Asylum next, you know. But he kind of got, you know, his feet wet here. Um, having Michael James Jackson do the drums for this, I think, immensely helped, because it, the drums are pretty powerful on this record. Um, I find that the songs are good, but they're far from anything stellar. I think I think they lucked out that Paul wrote Heaven's on Fire. You know, it's a catchy song. It is the big hit. It's what sold this record pretty much. Um, but, you know, be, beyond that, I think the reason why I was kind of thinking about Mark St. John is much like Vinnie Vincent and Bruce Kulick later, I find that Kiss albums in this time period are defined by their lead guitar players. Because if you just leave it to Paul and Gene... They kind of seem very basic, very old hat sometimes with their writing and their style. And when you have a good lead guitar player to come in and start, you know, adding some flash and pizzazz to it, that kind of makes them sound a lot more current. Yes, he was a little bit, bit bumblebee-ish on this, but like it or not, I think Michael James Jackson is the thing that made them sound relevant on there. They wanted a shredder. Shredders were big at the time. They got it with him. Yeah, sure, he didn't re doesn't remember how to play the same solo twice, but, you know, ask about half the bands that were out in this time that were hair band people. I wonder how many of them could repeat the same solos twice. These bands like XYZ and all these other bands. I mean, come on. You know, you, you can't you can't tell me that all of them knew how to play everything perfectly all the time. But that's beside the point. I, I just think that, like Bruce Kulick, look at Asylum. You know, I think that the songs there are good. But I think it's the solos that are fantastic on that. So sometimes I think it's the guitar solos that kind of define these records. But I think that it has, still has to go to Paul on this one because I think that his production was good. He knew what they wanted or what kind of record he wanted this album to be. And, you know, I think he also gets an extra point because he wrote a big hit for them that they desperately needed at the time as well. Nice. All right, beer boy. Well, it has to be Paul Stanley. <laughs> because... What he produced the album, he wrote the big hit for the album, like Mark mentioned, that they desperately need. They they needed a, a hit single to come off of Lick It Up and to come off center to say, hey, you know, we're not gonna, you know, but we're gonna con we're gonna keep producing hits. We're not just gonna have, you know, one good song or one good single and go back into obscurity where they had been the few previous years. Um, but but. As much as we you know, we want to say that that Vinny was, is responsible for for Lick It Up. Paul is responsible for for Animalize. I mean, he he wrote most of the songs on that. He produced the thing. I mean, he literally took the bull by the horns with Kiss moving forward, starting with with Animalize. Um, I mean, with with Animalize for several years to come. So it is Paul Stanley for me, and I and I think when we get into 
um, MVP Volume 3, I, I think the consensus is probably going to be Paul Stanley on the next few records because it becomes Paul Stanley's mm-hmm. kiss at this point for for a little while. At, le- at least for me, it does. I, I, the, the 80s is Paul Stanley's kiss. Um, I, you know, I don't, I don't think Jeans is as hard as into it. and We're going through a, a string of of lead guitar players in and out of the band. So, you know, it, it's, it's Paul Stanley on this album. And it's going to be Paul Stanley for me moving forward. I think we're going to prove you wrong. Okay. Well, have at it. Hot shot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so going out to get myself a chorus light after seeing you. Doing that. <laughs> so weak bear can only have one because I got to work tomorrow. All right. Well, that, that is our rankings and that is part two. And we will come back and do the next probably eight albums. I think, uh, we will include the greatest hits as well because, again, there are new songs on the next one. So what do you agree with that we've said? Who was egregiously wrong and clueless and delusional? Um, apart from me. But, A couple of Gene haters. <laughs> you know, who is your MVP for an album and what makes them your MVP? Is it the songs? Is it the player? Is it the producer? Or is it the sound? It's such a broad way to discuss music. Well, there we go. Uh, everyone enjoy listening to that new Paul song tomorrow. And uh, for now, from Lonnie, Ken, Mark, and myself, thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time. Thank you for spending time listening to the KISS FAQ podcast today. All sales are final. There are no refunds. If you'd like, look us up on Facebook or come over to the KISS FAQ message board and discuss the topic we've broadcast today. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes, Spreaker, or wherever you've listened to the show. We hope you'll join us again.